Hello and welcome to EOC of Suffolk Taking Action, a presentation of the Economic Opportunity Council of Suffolk, a federally designated community action agency. We promote self-sufficiency among low-income families and individuals by revitalizing communities, broadening the minds of children, and assisting families in need. This podcast will bring you some of the most important voices in the fight for dignity and equality. And now, your host, the chairperson of the Economic Opportunity Council of Suffolk, Ms. Sandra Palmer Randall. Hello, and welcome to EOC of Suffolk Taking Action. My name is Sandra Palmer Randall, and I'll be your host, and I'm also the board chair. Today, we have with us David Bradley, who is the chief executive officer and co-founder of the National Community Action Foundation. Thank you, David, for joining us as our first guest. I know that for more than 30 years, you have been one of the top leading advocates on behalf of low-income programs, and I would love it if you could discuss with our audience the genesis of community action agencies and its core funding, the Community Service Block Grant. Well, first of all, thank you for inviting me, and and if I'm your first guest, that's quite an honor. Hopefully, I uh, won't do anything that, uh, to prevent a second uh, episode. Um, the uh, community action agencies um, were created in Lyndon Johnson's War on Poverty in 1964. They were, they were seen as, the, um, as really the centerpiece of, uh, of the War on Poverty. And uh, it was Johnson, President Johnson, but also Sergeant Shriver, who was the first director of the War on Poverty. And Sarge uh, was my mentor. The reason I'm involved with community action is, uh, is directly related to my relationship with Sergeant Shriver. Um, so community action agencies were designed and created to really be the point of the lance and to the one, uh, the one that would, 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 would bring about social change would empower low-income individuals to have a say in, in, in their life and in, in a say in, in providing hope and opportunities and different than any other program. And they were seen as uh, by the originators, the founders, the Shrivers, the Johnsons and others as uh, potentially very, very controversial because you're going to, you're going to break the mold. You're going to, sometimes you're going to have to speak out against uh, you know, local local government or local policies that perpetuate poverty or deny opportunity. Uh, so that all was was inherent, embedded, uh, and a central part of LBJ's War on Poverty in 1964. Um, that program continued, uh, you know, federal, local uh, through throughout the 1960s and 1970s. Uh, despite whatever president was in, and, and LBJ was was terrific on the program. Obviously, he was the was the founder. But in 1973, uh, in President Nixon's second term, you know, he turned his attention to eliminating community action agencies. And Congress stepped forward and said, "No, we disagree with you, uh, Mr. President." And they they took him on. My role has been um, since 1981 is. I, I've been given and, and accepted the responsibility of keeping this network alive. And we've had, uh, uh, since LBJ, uh, there's been uh, at best uh, moderate support from some presidents, outright hostility from others, uh, with 
toward community action agencies. So the, the program that as it operates now, the funding that's received now, so it's through the community services block grant. It's no longer federal local, it's federal state local. Um, we continue, that's my responsibility. And we continue to receive all time high uh, in terms of federal investment. Uh, it's approaching $800 million, a billion dollars in the CARES Act. And all told, the nationwide network of a thousand agencies like EOC in, in, in uh, Suffolk County um, leverage almost $15 billion through this network. We're big business. We're a big deal in communities. And that's been one of the uh, uh, legacies of, I guess, 58 years of, of operating programs and being successful. Thank you, David, for that explanation of our existence here in Suffolk County and what we do for our constituents. So could you tell me what made you decide to get into this line of work? Well, the, um, I, I think uh, a couple things. The uh, one is I met uh, Sergeant Shriver in 1975 and, and uh, he ran for president, didn't go very far, but, but I really got to know him and we became very good friends. And the more I, I, I knew uh, Sergeant Shriver, the, uh, the more I appreciated uh, his values and what he meant to the country and, and particularly to uh, those left out and left behind. And he influenced my life greatly. Um, and uh, at a very critical time that changed the direction of my life. That's number one. Uh, two is I, I've been fortunate that the Community Action Network, I was, I was in the Carter administration and I have a couple of master's degrees in, in specializing in Congress uh, and uh, in political science, but particularly Congress. I'm sort of in my field, but I was fortunate enough that with the community action agencies and their needs in Washington, they met all the criteria uh, that I was looking for in terms of satisfaction and a professional career. One is that I would have, they'd have my back. I could make decisions. I could, I could use my intuition or, or knowledge in Congress. They would support me and they've done that. Second, um, I wanna be able to go home and uh, look myself in the mirror and say what I did uh, my activities that day in Congress or that week, you know, communities are better off for the effort I put in. Uh, in other words, I want to represent good guys and people that, that uh, I believe in. And lobbying is not a good profession. And, and I don't ever want to be in a position where you represent people that you know don't speak to the, the values and the best interest of America. A lot of people do that. I want to be able to to be proud of who I represent. We're not perfect, but by God, we try to make America uh, a little bit better. And third, um, I, I, I want to be able to um, build a relationship in Congress and have the, the ability to assemble a coalition, a bipartisan coalition in a time in which partisanship is so rampant. We want to do it right, and we want to build a lasting coalition to support this program. So uh, everything I look for in terms of, of, of support from who I work for, that from the network, and in terms of, of the abilities to, to make decisions on behalf of, of the network that represent, I think, what the network needs, 
and the ability to do it right in a bipartisan way. They've met and and that follow and then carrying on the Shriver legacy. All that was important in terms of defining who I am and what I do. So just going a little bit further, would you like to tell me what you do in your downtime? You know, what your hobbies are? What do you like to do? I wish I had more downtime. Um, <laughs> the um, it's And we're, we're involved with a major legislative effort right now that is just absolutely cons- consumes my life. And uh, But in downtime, there, um, there's th- sort of three things that define me, I, I think. Uh, number one, I have strong interest in baseball and uh, I own some minor league baseball teams. And so it's important to me, I do, what I do for the community action agencies is the public good. And that's the public side. I don't take any federal money. Uh, so I feel good about that, but I know that what I do there is, is really a good, uh, good thing in terms of allowing community action agencies to do very good things in communities. Uh, so on the private side, uh, I'm part owner of a number of minor league baseball teams, which allows me to, um, you know, just to go in a different direction once in a while. Second, I, I love reading, um, uh, serious, a serious reader, two to three books a week. And then third, I, I'm an avid collector of uh, old cars. So my relationships, the reason I say that is there's probably 110, 120 house members who the first thing they'll ask is they want uh, when I see them, well, they'll want to talk baseball. There's a smaller group, but only slightly smaller, maybe 75 or so members. The first thing we say to each other is, what are you reading? And then the third thing is, there's about 20 members that, that want to talk to me about my old car collection or what they have. So what I've been able to do in terms of my, my personal interest is it's helped develop relationships with members that are more nuanced, that are more complex, that are more uh, you know, differentiated, that allows to build a, just a different relationship than just going in and hammering or talking about you know, a program all the time. So it's, uh, for whatever reason, I think it's, it's helped me be a little bit more successful. David, with the current political climate in Washington, how do you see the future of community action agencies? That, that's a very good question. And one, obviously, that uh, goes through my mind, um, you know, hourly, uh, daily. First of all, the political climate is, is it's very troubling. It's one who loves Congress and, and find, finds that about 85 percent, even 90 percent of these members really want to do the right thing and really want to improve America. They may disagree on how to improve it, but they're, they're, they're motivated, I think, by the desire to do right. This partisan warfare uh, that exists is very, very troubling. And uh, I see it each and every day. And, and Republicans may dislike Democrats, Democrats may like, dislike Republicans, and, it's, and it spreads throughout the Congress. So the, the toxicity and the partisanship is real. And it's also having, I think, a long-term uh, negative impact in that very good staff who work in Congress, either on committees or for members, are leaving because they're tired of the partisanship. They're tired of, of just the, uh, 
a depressing environment. And also, I, I would mention, I think many of them are very underpaid for the hours they, they put in. So the partisanship is a real factor. And that is, is something that, that I take into account. Uh, I want us to be different. And uh, as much as, as, as you know, I admired President Johnson, certainly Sergeant Shriver, uh, the war on poverty, which was launched in 1964, presidential year, was really a partisan initiative. A uh, number of Republicans supported it and voted for it, but a number of Republicans didn't. And some that, that uh, wanted, had ideas were excluded. I want us to be different. I want us to be, have friends in both Republican side and Democratic side. And, and both parties embrace this program. So our, our goals short term are to one, uh, build a lasting bipartisan base in both the House and the Senate. And I think we're, we're close to achieving that. And uh, you know, some big initiatives, as I mentioned earlier, the COVID, uh, first uh, big COVID uh, legislative package on a bipartisan basis, Congress invested a billion dollars into this network. And you always know you're successful when, when people who weren't involved in the program, whatever party, and they take credit for it. That's a good thing. It's when they say, don't blame me, somebody else did it. That's a bad thing, but they, they took credit for it. But both parties felt welcome. We always wanna do that. But it is important to have bipartisan support and to build, build that coalition more than ever uh, immediately because the political winds are changing. Uh, the political winds are becoming very, 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 very strong against spending against uh, deficits and debt. And I think uh, the midterm elections are likely to bring about some dramatic change. And the environment next year is going to be, there's gonna be more scrutiny on how you invest precious federal resources. So, so programs are gonna to have to prove it's worth borrowing money to pay for activities conducted by that program. So it's, uh, for that reason alone, it's important to make sure that we've got friends in Republican, Republican friends, Democratic friends that allow us the opportunity to explain and, and uh, produce results uh, that their investment um, uh, supports. And so I think, I think, uh, I think we're, in, we're in a very, very good, good position to, to have allies in both parties that are willing to withstand whatever those political wins may bring about. Second, uh, we're going to test that uh, very, very shortly. That theory that I have is that uh, uh, Congress is the House of Representatives. I don't know when this is going to air, but the House of Representatives next week will, will vote on a major, major program um, for um, the Community Action Agency is called the Community Services Block Grant program I wrote in 1981. And, and I want it to be one of the uh, most bipartisan bills considered this year, this Congress um, uh, that they've ever considered. And I think we're on the verge of doing that. But I know that, that if programs are not authorized, if they're not uh, widely supported in both parties, they're going to be... Uh, 
subject to either elimination or sharp reductions in the environment that's emerging next year that I predict will emerge next year. So we want to be positioned on that. And to do it, you can't be simply uh, friends with a few members of one party. There's a good members in both parties, both parties that, um, that want to do positive things for their communities, for their districts, for their states. That's the kind of members I want to deal with. And those are the kind of members we want to support us. So the future, as long as we do our work, keep the bar high on performance and outcome and results, transparency, as long as we keep that bar high and uh, reach as high as we can for excellence. I think the future is very, very bright and um, perhaps even a stronger congressional commitment to fighting this war on poverty than we've seen in many, many years. So I'm optimistic as long as we do our work. Well, thank you, David. If you're optimistic, then I'm optimistic as well. Very good. And wrapping up, David, over the years, I've had the opportunity to attend your NCAF conferences. And I realized that because of COVID, you haven't had them for the past two years or so. Do you plan on bringing them back anytime soon? Yeah, the uh, uh, we've done virtual. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, yeah, next in 2023, we're back live. And what we try to achieve on those conferences is uh, to bring in people you see on the nightly news, people that, that uh, you're aware of, people that, that who are in positions to affect your agencies and your and your uh, and your programs and your communities. So whether they be uh, uh, critical members of of Congress who are involved in our life, or newsmakers, or policymakers, or media, we try to bring in people that oh yeah yeah I I'm, uh, I know that person or boy I didn't I didn't think would see him or her. So people that uh, that allow you an opportunity to see some you know the Pelosi's the speakers of the world or the you know, the Kevin McCarthy's or Paul Ryan or sometimes vice presidents and cabinet secretaries. So I look forward to seeing people live once again. And God willing, uh, COVID and the pandemic will will be further behind, behind this by March of 2023. Thank you very much for tuning into our very first program. And I hope you will join us again. If you have any questions or suggestions for guests that you would like to hear, please contact us at EOC of Suffolk. You can access our website, go to eoc-suffolk.com, or you can call our central office at area 631-289-2124. And thank you very much for joining us. EOC of Suffolk Taking Action is a production of the Economic Opportunity Council of Suffolk a federally designated community action agency. Check back for more interesting, thought-provoking episodes with some of the most important voices in the fight for dignity and equality. Have an idea for an upcoming show? Call us at 631-289-2124 or log on to eoc-suffolk.com. That's eoc-suffolk.com.